Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now here's our associate pastor, Adam Barnett. Well, good morning. I think you can do better than that. Good morning. Great to see you. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you forgot your Bible, uh, there's a red one located under the seat in front of you. And if the Bible is new to you today, I want to make sure you can find Galatians 5 quickly and easily. So that's page 1815, page 1815 on the red Bibles. It'll also be on the screen uh, this morning. We're beginning a new series today called Third Person on the Heels of Easter. Uh, This is an intentional four week study and focus on the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to begin this entire series by making a very important point. Uh, And so I have recruited the help of some of our awesome third and fourth grade students to help me make this point this morning. Uh, So from Eli and Danica and Benjamin, you're going to hear a brief overview of history from creation to Christ. Take it away, guys. Creation, fall, flood, nation, 4,000 years, earth, Persian Gulf, salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terror, Tigris, Euphrates, Peron, Terror dies, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean, Israel, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Jews, bondage, 400 years, Moses, let my people go, no way, Jose, 10 plagues, Passover, Red Sea, Mount Sinai, laws, tabernacle, Levites and priests, offerings and feasts, Counting the faces of Kadesh Oasis, twelve spies, wanders, dies. Moab, Moses, second law, dies. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide. Conquer, south, north, divide. Settle, twelve tribes. Judges, Deborah, you go girl, Gideon, Samson, everyone did what was right in their own eyes except Ruth and Samuel, United Kingdom, Saul, no heart, David, whole heart, Solomon, half heart, Divided Kingdom, North, South, Israel, Judah, 192008. Prophets speak. Shape up or ship out. Assyria, Israel, scatter. Babylonia, Judah, exile. Persia, return. Zerubbabel rebuilds a temple. Esther is the queen. Ezra leads the people. Nehemiah builds the wall. 400 years. 
Come on, give it up for him again, nice and loud. <laughs> Carrie Storms, thank you very much for your leadership in that. Eli, Danica, Benjamin, way to go, friends. What a great summary of creation to Christ, and so let's keep this going. I'm going to pick up from Jesus to today, and I don't have any emotions, um, so deal with it. Jesus was born under the reign of Herod the Great. He was killed and resurrected. I said he resurrected. Thank you. Over 500 witnesses saw him. He ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit arrived. Pentecost, the church was born. Stephen was martyred. Saul converted. Paul's missionary journeys began. The gospels were written. James, Peter, and Paul killed. The Romans destroyed the Jewish temple. Christianity moved to Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. Revelation was written. Persecution commenced. Constantine made Christianity the legal religion within the Roman Empire, and he calls the council at Nicaea. The Arian controversy was refuted, the Nicene Creed written, the Bible translated into Latin, the Great Schism, the Crusades, Wycliffe argued for reform of the church, Luther posted his 95 theses, he and Zwingli began the Protestant Reformation, Tyndale translated the Bible into English, there's a 30-year war in Germany and the publication of the King James Bible, the Great Awakening, John and Charles Wesley converted, revival broke out, Billy Graham was born, the World Council of Churches was formed, Mother Teresa received her crown, and here you are at 11 o'clock a.m. at Redeemer, 101st in Yale, Tulsa, America. You want to cheer for the kids? Thank you. Stop, please. This is not a comprehensive review of history. This is, if you will, a 40,000-foot view. But here is the point that I wanted to make here at the top of this series on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot be isolated into one singular event in history. Pentecost, and that's what we do as a church. We're kind of guilty of that. We talk about that moment in Acts 2, and, 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 and we act like the Holy Spirit was born in that time and in that place, and that is not the case. Yes, 50 days after his resurrection, we read that the Holy Spirit arrived, God's Spirit, to dwell in the Christ follower. And we went from this visitation culture with the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit would visit a place or a people for a specific time and purpose, and then would withdraw. We went from that visitation culture to a habitation culture. He dwells in us and guides and comforts and enables and empowers us, but he wasn't born. This Holy Spirit wasn't born in that moment. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit has always been, and that's what the point I wanted to make here at the top of this series. The Holy Spirit has always been. Before time, and throughout history, the Spirit of God has been actively in authority. Before time and throughout history, actively in authority. So with that in mind, we begin this series to further discover how we encounter the Holy Spirit here today. And that's what we're going to do in this series. Now, fittingly, today we're looking at a passage that specifically informs two affirmations of the covenant denomination. One, the reality of freedom in Christ, and two, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Galatians 5 together, starting with verse 13. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Well, that's good news if you haven't heard any yet today. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Now, you got to pay attention here as we go from passage to passage because they're linked in amazing ways, but this is a proclamation of freedom, a doctrine of redemption. Christ has set you free indeed. Yet the tension here remains for the Christ follower, the tension between freedom and bondage. It's always present in the Christian's life. So Paul warns us here, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't knowingly, willingly, proactively choose to sin and abuse the very gift of God's grace in your life. Your freedom requires responsibility. Your freedom requires responsibility. So from the text, we learn freedom is not a license to sin, but a mandate to love. Love one another. If we're slaves to anything, it shouldn't be sin, but instead this commission on our lives to love one another. And in this passage, we see a particular warning from Paul to this infant church, and it was for legalists. Some Christians cling so religiously to rules that they damage and even destroy relationships with others and within the church. Listen, we can interpret and practice our Christian freedom differently within reasonable accountability, of course. But in the meantime, at the very least, let's not bite and devour one another. Let's not bite and devour one another with our harsh criticisms and opinions and judgments of one another. Let's love each other. I think that's a whole lot better of an idea than to bite and devour one another. Let's love each other. Everybody okay with that? Come on, are you okay with that? We're going to love each other. All right, let's move on. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Here is the war that exists within each and every one of us. Flesh and Spirit. And I want to be extremely clear about these two opponents. This is not a description of two equal forces in combat with one another with an indecisive outcome. The spirit is more powerful than the flesh, period. There's no question about it. Yes, we can relapse into fleshly thinking and fleshly behavior, but when we walk in the spirit, there is no question the flesh will be defeated. These are not equal opponents. We don't find victory in our battle with sin, in this war with sin, as a result of living under the law, but because we actively yield to the Holy Spirit. 
and by flesh. Be careful not to hear Paul talking here and think that flesh is this reference to a person's dirty, destructive behaviors. That's not what he's talking about, those few mistakes that you make every once. He's talking about the entire self, the whole all-encompassing self. The flesh is in one's ego in the attempt to fill a void or some sort of emptiness with one, one's own power instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, I experienced what is known as the greatest spectacle in racing. That's the Indy 500. It was really amazing to be there. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. Drivers, start your engines. And then the atmosphere just kind of shook. You could feel it in your chest. You couldn't hear a thing. Three to five hours, 33 drivers, 500 miles. This was amazing. It was a great day. We even played golf on the golf course inside the racetrack, had good food. It's a great experience, but I'm going to let you know I don't care about racing. I think it's boring to watch on TV. I don't, I don't enjoy it at all, but I got to be there and I enjoyed being present for the race. Um, but I do have a helpful illustration here, so just bear with me a minute more. Next month, the 2019 Indy 500 pace car will be a 2019 Long Beach Red Metallic Corvette Grand Sport. And she is pretty, isn't she? And we're giving one away today. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. She sure is. I'll just stop talking and we can look at that thing just a second longer. Hello. A uh, pace car limits the speed of all the other cars on the racetrack during a caution period. And so bad weather hits or there's an accident, the pace car comes on the scene, and all the other vehicles have to find that car and, and be able to determine what pace that car's driving and get in sync with that car. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit is not a 2019 Long Beach Red Metallic Corvette Grand Sport. We don't follow the Spirit like a pace car trying to keep up with the Holy Spirit during a caution period in our life. Instead, we're led by the Spirit like a locomotive on a train. When you hook your cart, your life, into God's cart, He leads you. You don't lead Him. It's His initiative and it's His power. You don't have to find Him on this track of life and find his speed and stay in sync with his speed. You just hook into his cart and let him do the heavy lifting and let him do the heavy pulling through his spirit. You don't even have to follow Jesus in your own strength. It's relying on the strength of God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the spirit is to hook up to the divine source of power and to go wherever he leads. And we will no longer be satisfied by independence or power or status or any worldly pleasures. Are you still going to be tempted? Absolutely. A Christian is not someone who never experiences a sinful desire. A Christian is someone who experiences sinful desires and yet taps into that power of the Holy Spirit and wages war with that sin. 
Ain't nobody asking you to be perfect. I can't find anything on pages of Scripture saying, you got to get your act together to walk with Jesus. No, you say yes to yield to Jesus, start walking, and yield to his power. He just wants you. He doesn't want the perfect version of you. He doesn't want the 10 years from now version of you. He just wants you. Are you with me on this? Maybe this week, someone in your household gets out of line and starts acting up. You can just remind them. This chicka, 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 chicka. And you just tell them, you better hook back into the Holy Spirit. Five minutes ago, you need to hook back in to the Holy Spirit. From verse 14, I want to also talk about this very difficult instruction to apply to our lives. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is hard because our neighbors have needs and flaws, right? Now, some of my neighbors attend here. They're right there on the third row, actually. Hi, guys. I'm not talking about you. Y'all are perfect. And I love you very much. I love you as I love myself. We're not talking about my neighbors. We're talking about your neighbors. Here's the interesting thing about our relationships with anyone. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus because I believe that a lot of you will be able to relate from experience. Here I go. When I hear of your needs, I'm not always interested or willing to help you. But when you hear of my needs, I expect you to always be interested and always be willing to help me. Are you following this dynamic yet? Can anybody relate? Let's talk about flaws. When I see your flaws, I am compelled to make you aware of them. And I also feel like I could help you solve your flaws. I can fix you. But when you see my flaws, I don't want to hear about it because I don't have any, right? Now, the last service was laughing, and maybe they're just holier. Y'all are quiet because you're convicted right now. Hmm? Here's the thing. We're all perfect in our own eyes, aren't we? And we're all also disgustingly self-centered. So love your neighbor out of my flesh, that's impossible. It just is impossible to love to the extreme measures in which God demands us to love. But with the Spirit, we can The Greek word for Holy Spirit means to come alongside and help. Who doesn't want that kind of help? Who doesn't need? Show me a man or a woman or a child who doesn't need that kind of help. I know every one of us needs this kind of help. Here's evidence. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Now let's personalize this just a little bit. In case anybody out there thinks that you're good in your own flesh, I'm going to attempt to reverse your thinking right now. And I'm not trying to be mean and condemn anybody. 
It's just there's nothing good in me and there's nothing good in you. <laughs> Welcome to church. So let's try this together. We're going to read this out loud. And where it says insert name, you don't read insert name. You, you do that. You say your name. Okay? Anybody that says insert name, y'all need to, you know, mature. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to say Adam and you say your name. Let's read this nice and loud. Ready? I know that in Adam, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Period. If, if it's me and my flesh, there's nothing good coming of it. Interestingly, this week, um, I was actually with one of my neighbors, and we were out and met another man, and uh, we started talking. He said, hey, what brought you to Tulsa a few years ago? I said, I'm a pastor, redeemer, and he said, I'm agnostic. And I said, well, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> or you want to talk about other topics? He said, we can talk about religion. And so we had this really great conversation that went back and forth. And it was very uh, warm, very warm dialogue. And, and then, you know, our time was almost up together. And I said to this, you know, stranger two hours prior to that moment, we're about to leave each other. I said, what is your biggest challenge with the Christian faith? And he said, it's just like every other faith. See, the narrative of every religion, he shared, is to be good. Just be good. And I said, hey, I don't want to step on your toes, but I'm preaching this Sunday from Romans 7 where it says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So, you know, I'm glad you shared that you think the narrative of all religions is to be good because here's the narrative of my religion, my Christian faith. There ain't nothing good in me. And that's why I yield to Jesus and the righteousness of Christ is alive in me. There is nothing good in me. I have no pressure to perform or to achieve or to earn or deserve my salvation through Christ. He did all the work. He accomplished all the work. And he's still doing all the work. See, he says, come and yield to me and get under my authority and my righteousness will manifest itself in your life. You don't have to be good. It was a great ending to the conversation. <laughs> he may be here, I don't know, but if you are, I love you, brother. Welcome. There's nothing good in our flesh. And so how do I love? How do I love? How do I love? How do I love to the extent that God says to love out of my flesh? I don't, but watch this, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I can love with his help. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 22, we know that a fruit of the Spirit is love. In verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And you're thinking, I thought this was a series about the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Love is the all-encompassing lifestyle of the one who bears the fruit of the Spirit, the one who is led by the Spirit, and the one who walks in the Spirit. Love. It's, it's love. Loving your neighbor and walking in the Spirit are synonymous. Walk in the Spirit and you will love. How many of you all have rolled your ankle or twisted your knee or had a, you know, a hip replacement? A lot of you. Over the course of your life, something from the waist down has given you fits. And when that's happened, when you've twisted your knee, broken your ankle or whatever, there is visible evidence 
there is a symbol of the pain you're experiencing. It's a limp. You walk with a limp. You walk around, everybody knows something happened to you, right? We need to be a people who walk with a limp. Something happened to us. We yielded to Jesus Christ. I received that new spirit in me. I'm alive in him. And when you look at me, you ought to see that limp, and it's called love. When you walk out of this church today, you go back into your community, into your neighborhood, your family, your workplace, whatever it is. Walk with a limp. People ought to be able to look at you and go, huh, something happened to that person. Something's going on in that person's life because the way they're loving. See, love is our Christian limp. It's that visible evidence of life change. So we're going to worship and we're going to sing these lyrics, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And before we do, I want to ask you this one question. Where is here? You know, of course, here is this church. Yes, we welcome the Spirit here. But I'm asking you, have you welcomed the Spirit in your home? Have you welcomed the Holy Spirit in your marriage? Have you welcomed the Spirit in your relationships with your parents or your children? particularly those who you disagree with or don't like? Have you welcomed the Holy Spirit's presence in those relationships with people that you disagree with? Fundamentally, you disagree with doctrine, theology, whatever. Politically, people that rub you the wrong way and bother you. People that you avoid, like they walk in the room and you're like, I gotta get somewhere, right? Have you welcomed the Spirit in those arenas of your life. And so as we sing, I'm going to ask you to ponder that and, and, and decide where could I welcome the spirit that I haven't? Would you stand to your feet? And before we worship, I would like to, I'd like to pray the very lyrics that we're going to sing. Now, this is a real dialogue here. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're speaking with the very Spirit of God. He's speaking to yours. So let's, let's enter into this dialogue. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness.